Well, this morning, uh, we are going to be in Psalm 62, but before we do that, I would like to just uh, ask for the Lord's help as we begin. Father, we're so thankful this morning, Lord, for the songs of the Lord and God just for meeting with us in such a way. Lord, we just sent your presence with us and we're so thankful for that. And Lord, we thank you for how good you are, oh God, in all your ways. Lord, as we turn to your word, we pray, Lord, you would speak to our hearts as only you can do. Father, minister to us. Lord, let us hear your voice today. May we leave here, Lord, different than when we came in. God, we ask for your help now. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Worry is a problem that we all struggle with, and apparently it comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word that also means wolf and harm. And obviously it's something that harmful and bites, just like a wolf, you know, chews up its prey. It's a very terrible thing for us. And there are times, you know, when we feel some legitimate worry and it causes us to, you know, move to action. You know, if we're standing too close to the cliff and we're worried that we might fall over, that's a healthy kind of worry. We should back up a little, you know. But there's a lot of debilitating worry in our life, you know. And there are times when it paralyzes us and it can ruin our health. It can really destroy us, right? And it unfits us for duty for the Lord. It distracts us from what we ought to be engaged in. And it can rob us of our vision. And there's an old story told of an angel who met a man carrying a heavy sack and inquired what was in it. My worries, said the man. Let me see them, asked the angel. And when the sack was opened, it was empty. The man was astonished and said he had two great worries. One was of yesterday, which he now saw was past. And the other of tomorrow, which had not yet arrived. The angel told him he needed no sack, and the man gladly threw it away. And oftentimes our worries fit into those categories. We worry and fret about the past, things we cannot change and go back to, or we worry about the things tomorrow which we, which aren't even affecting us yet, right? And I'm guilty of that. I'm not standing here this morning saying I'm not without worry. This is just a human response. It's natural for us. We're, we're fearful of things, right? And as we face the difficulties of life, the challenges of life, people, problems, right? We worry and we stress and we fret. And sometimes it it can become immobilizing to us and it can ruin our health. I remember many years ago, a good friend of mine, his brother, you know, was taken to the hospital with uh, uh, like heart failure. And uh, he was a fit man. He was very fit. He was not old at all. He was in his 30s. But he was a man of great worry and stress. In fact, he was just constantly stressing over everything. And that actually was the cause of his heart problem. That stress led to heart issues. And that can do that for us. And so spiritually and physically, worry and stress can rob us and destroy us and bring us down. That's what we're thinking about this morning. And so the question is, then where can we find hope? And what is the answer for that worry and that stress? Is there one to be found? What can we do? Well, we turn to Psalm 62 here and we see uh, a a psalm of David to the choir director, a psalm according to uh, Judathan or however you want to say that. (laughs) In Hebrew, it's Yudatan. But, you know, the the meaning of that name is kind of a confession of praise in its noun form. It's a confession of praise. And as we go through this psalm, we're going to see a very clear pattern here of a solid faith in the one who never fails. Let's begin in verses 1 and 2. David says, I am at rest in God alone. And the word here for rest, and some of your Bible translations might use the word silence, and that's really literally what it means. It means to be in silence before God. In other words, it's that perfect place of complete peace and rest. No distractions. All is quiet. 
It's as if we were at the bottom of the ocean out there while the seas are raging over our head. Assume we could, we could breathe in water. It's like our little friends, the little red lobsters on the bottom scurrying about. They have no perception of the storm which raises above them. It's a quietness. It's a rest. It's a peace. And David says, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock. And my salvation, my stronghold, I will never be shaken. You know, sometimes I think we run to worry as if somehow that will fix the problem, you know. If only I fret enough about it and labor over it enough, if only I spend enough time in mental anguish, somehow, you know, this is kind of a remedy for my problem, right? We think that worry might be it or fretting or trying to strategize, right? But but what David is, is telling us here and what we're going to discover from our text today is that it's really only found in God. And there's kind of three things that he gives us in these opening verses that, that secure that for us. The first one is that my salvation comes from him. And you know, as the Lord's people this morning, we would know spiritually, obviously, salvation is of the Lord. Praise God, right? But also physical, right? I mean, God can spare us physically too, and he does. And so salvation, whether spiritual or physical, all of it comes from God. He is the source of it. And I love this word for salvation here in the Hebrew. It's the same root word that's used for Jesus' name, Yeshua, in Hebrew, right? And here we have that name, Yeshua, that beautiful name of Jesus, which is Jesus' name in Hebrew. It means salvation. And so David is saying, look, my salvation comes from him. Salvation comes from the Lord. And we're going to see through our passage that although we might think help can come from different places, it's from God. Secondly, he says, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. You know, uh, we see this word alone here. There's six alones, onlys in this passage, if you will. And, and God alone is my rock. And that rock, of course, is a picture of incredible strength and power. You know, as we think of... I think every time I go out west and I have the privilege to see the Canadian Rockies, it just it never ceases to amaze me, right? Um, the rock. I mean, it's impenetrable. It, it can resist anything. You can't get through it. You can't get around it. I mean, that, and that's our God, right? He is an impenetrable stronghold, mighty. He is before us. There is nothing that can assail him. He is a rock, and my salvation. He repeats it again. My stronghold. David had experience of hiding in caves when he was running from Saul in his younger years. And he would flee into caves and hide in the rocks of the mountains and the hills. It was like a stronghold for David. In other words, a place of safety and refuge, right? And, you know, we've all seen, you know, those movies. You know, maybe you've seen uh, the Lord of the Rings series or the Hobbit series, you know, where they're going up the mountain and they find refuge in a cave. Now, mind you, the cave had other problems. We won't go there. But you know what I'm saying, right? When you enter that cave in the mountain, the storm ceases and God is like that for us. He's a stronghold. He's a place we can go for refuge and safety. And he says, I will never be shaken. Because these things are true, because God is my salvation, because He is my rock, because He is my stronghold, I will not be moved off of this faith in God, you see. I will not be shaken. I cannot be moved off of it because these things are true. And that's the basis of it. And because these things are true, we cannot lose the promises of God. You know, we're tempted to do that. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that, you know, at times, right? We, 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 we have a failing in life. We have a problem that comes our way. And sometimes we wonder, oh, Lord, you know, like, have I gone too far this time? Or, you know, will, will the Lord, you know, cast me off? But he won't do that. And his promises are sure and secure. And because God is a rock, and because we cannot lose the promises of God, therefore we can truly rest 
and be silent in his presence. Now you might say, okay, Mark, that's, that's a great statement of faith. Yes, I agree to that in my mind, but how do we work that out in our life, right? Because that is the challenge for us, right? And we can make bold professions of faith. And we can have those moments where, yeah, you know, we're standing on the rock. We're strong, but then something comes along and assails us. And so we're going to think about that here. But before we do, I want to share this with you about the, the, the truth of who God is. Here's an illustration. It's a true story. In a Sunday night service at Marble Collegiate Church, New York City, Bishop Leonard concluded with his moving appeal. He said that during the recent floods at Johnstown, Pennsylvania, a rumor had gone forth that the Great Dam was giving way again. Quickly, the valley was filled with excitement and fear. Swiftly, too, the report came to the ears of the architect who had built the work. He exclaimed, it is untrue. The dam is not giving way. I built it, and I know every bit of material and workmanship put into its construction. It will bear any pressure of water that can be put upon it. Leaping into his car, he drove up the valley from where the others were fleeing to get out of the path of the the dam that was going to fail. He parked his car at the very base of the dam, and standing on the running board, he cried out, The dam will hold. It is not breaking. Said the bishop, This bewildered age needs men and women with faith, just or just such faith in Jesus Christ. He will never fail. He is sufficient for all time and eternity. So just like this architect who had unfailing faith in that dam, so we too as God's people can have unfailing faith in our rock, our God. He cannot fail. He will not fail. We have a sure foundation. And we need a confession of faith like that. We can rest in the Lord today. He cannot fail us. And sometimes we look at the world and things going around us and we wonder. And yet God cannot and will not fail. His program will be worked out. Let's move on to verses 3 through 8. He says, How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Selah. There's probably very few people in this room who have not been personally attacked by others. Have you ever experienced that? I can tell you, I've had a lot of experiences, especially, you know, being many years in the business world, many years as a leader, a manager, the boss. (laughs) Nobody ever says anything bad about the boss, right? Uh, Here we have a case where somebody's attacking and, and, and tearing down with their words and trying to assault character. And so it's, it's a malicious attack, right? And, you know, when that happens, of course, that's a really tough thing to take. And perhaps you've been there. I remember, you know, many years ago when I was just a young man, uh, in the, this would be in the late 80s, uh, I was at work and the secretary called my office and said, Mark, there's somebody here to see you stay in your office. I said, okay. So I was kind of at the back of the factory. The next thing I knew, I had an RCMP officer in front of me interrogating me in my office. And he was accusing me of stealing military weapons from the island of Cyprus and selling them into the Canadian marketplace. Oh, yes, we laugh now. I can tell you, uh, as a 20-something-year-old young supervisor, I was trembling in my boots because he was just going at me as if I was guilty. And, I mean, he almost convinced me that I was. I mean, you know, he was he was good. Now, he never took me to the station, but he was just hammering me about... And he had certain people and names and parts of the story correct. But he was accusing me of being guilty, you see. And what I found out later was, and the last words he ever said to me is, do not leave town. That was in 1988, and I never heard back from them, but I did leave town. That was, <laughs> that, that was Oshawa. That was Oshawa. You know, when I was driving home that day, I was so scared. 
I pulled up to the corner of Fixin and Highway 2, and a big white van pulled up to me. In the late 80s, guys were going around selling stolen stereo equipment. Pulled up the van, rolled down there. Hey, man, you want to buy some? <laughs> you know, I thought, it's a sting by the police, you know. I was scared. I was scared. And I found out a guy in the workplace who was, who had, who was, who had, had applied to the RCMP and whose application had failed was making up this story about me based on some truth and, and sending that to the police in order to get, hopefully get himself a, a good in with the cops by exposing a major crime. There was no truth in it. I was aware of a commanding officer when I was in the military who may have been involved in such a scheme, but I was never to Cyprus. The point is, right, people can attack us. And that's what David is saying. Look, you're, they're attacking. They, they bless with their mouths. They curse inwardly. They're trying to tear us down. The question is, how do we respond? Right? How do we respond to that attack when it comes? Do we enter into fear? Do we start fretting about it? Do we potentially take matters into our own hands and respond in the same way? I mean, that's the natural way, right? You attack me, I'll attack you back. And so I'm just going to do what I can to destroy you, and you can destroy me, and we have this destructive pattern. How do we respond as the Lord's people when people say evil, wicked, and unkind things about us? Do we respond in the right way? Well, let's look what David does here in verses 5 through 8. And you know, David was a man who had many people out to get him. Many enemies round and about from within and from without. Here's what he says. Rest in God alone, my soul. For my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. He's repeating that amazing confession of faith. He began with this solid confession of faith, which is where we should start. Now he's facing the attack of people and he's still on the same position. Even though he's going through this, he, he, he has not changed his position. My salvation and glory depend on God. My strong rock, my refuge is in God. And so David's position doesn't change. He's going to still trust in the Lord, even though he's facing these enemies. And then he goes on in verse 8, Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is our refuge. And so David does add a few new words to this confession that we didn't see in verses 1 and 2. The first one I, I see here is hope. My hope comes from Him. Oh yes, from where does my, where does, from whence does my help come? My help cometh from the Lord. I, I was raised in the King James, so I, I just remember that. <laughs> you know, our hope comes from God, right? So David is saying, look, that, that's where hope is found. Because of who he is, because of what he is, that's where my hope is. Yes, he's my salvation. Yes, he's my rock, but my hope actually comes from putting my trust in him by resting in him and it also adds the word glory. My salvation and glory depend on God. You know, there's many people that can come against us in this life. I've had that experience too many times to share in this room. And I've been guilty of it myself. I'm not going to stand here, by the way, and tell you I've never spoken wrong of somebody. I have. I'm guilty of that. And it's a common human experience. We, we respond in the wrong way towards people sometimes. <clears throat> But you know what? No matter what people try to do or say, no matter how bad the situation may appear, they cannot take away what God has promised us, and we are headed for glory, beloved. Part of this salvation package is glory. We will be glorified. We will be, we will, we will be like Him. 
our Lord Jesus Christ, for we shall see him as he is. It doesn't mean we're going to be glorified to the position of God, but we will be glorified in our bodies. We will be glorified with his presence. And God has glory in store for us, no matter what men say or do. We are on that path, and nothing can change that. No matter how hard men may try, God, my Savior, my rock, my salvation, my hope has glory in store for you and for me, for all who put their trust in him, my refuge is there. And he goes on, now he's been instructing himself, and now he goes on to instruct others, trust in him at all times, you people, pour your hearts out before him, God is our refuge. And not only for a personal confession, but to all people we should trust in the Lord. At all times. So in the midst of that difficulty, right in the middle, when all hope seems lost, when people are attacking us, when there's trouble on every side, it's right there where we need to trust in the Lord in the middle of that. That God will act on our behalf. That He will do something. And not take matters into our own hands. It's such a beautiful thing, you know, to cast our cares on the Lord. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care on Him because He cares for you. And I often like to tell people it's kind of like that old story, right? Pilgrim's Progress, where he's got that big old sack of potatoes on his back there, representing his sins, right? And he finally finds a place of unloading them. And it's like that with us and the burdens that we carry in this life. No matter the hurts, the worries, the fears, and the burdens, we need to somehow find a way to dump those onto the Lord and say, Lord, you've got to carry this because I can't. And God wants us to do that, by the way. He's not expecting us to be so strong that we can carry these things on our own. We can't. And so we unburden that. We say, Lord, over to you. I can't do it any longer. I'm leaving it with you, and I'm just going to trust in you. And that's where hope is found. That's where peace is found. That's where rest is found, is when we can get to that place where instead of trusting in ourselves and trusting in others, we put it all in God's hands and we say, Lord, your will be done. I'm just going to leave it there. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to praise you in the midst of this storm. Let's go on to verses 9 and 10. It says, Common people are a vapor, important people an illusion. Together on a scale they weigh less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. I love this verse. You know, it is, it is kind of, it's a very sobering verse to me. Because basically what it's telling me is that that people are of no account before God in the sense of man's greatness or man's idea of greatness, right? Whether you're common or whether you're great in the eyes of this world. In comparison to Almighty God, we are less than a vapor. We have no strength against Him. There is no power against the Lord. And we can be so great in this world and the world can look up to us and it's all empty, it's all vanity, and there's nothing there. And there's at least two aspects of this. One is the fact that sometimes, right, we put our trust in people. And obviously we have our close friends, we have our church family, and we need to trust one another and and serve one another and love one another and walk through our difficulties. But when we turn away from God and put our trust in men, we will find that it is empty and vain, including the great ones. Now, I don't know about you. But I'm very cynical when it comes to politics, and we're not going to discuss politics except to say this. I find that I have more friends in life when I don't discuss it. But what I will say this is, regardless of the political party, what I do know is that many politicians promise many things and never deliver. And yet, for some reason, every election cycle, we think they will. Uh, but, you know, if, so we put our trust, right, in politicians, we're going we're gonna to find disappointment somewhere down the line. They might try the best they can. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They try the best they can, but they can't deliver. Men fail. No matter how strong, no matter how many, they're like a vapor. They're an illusion. There's nothing to it. Only God. 
So let's be clear on that, right? And the reality is that the powerful oftentimes take advantage of the not. Through oppression, through theft, through abuse. All of this is true. It goes on in our world even today. And that's an empty and a vain pursuit. Regardless of all their power and all their strength, wealth is a vanity, right? We're not to set our heart on material things as if somehow that's the end of our life. If somehow if we just had more money, we'll finally be happy and all of our problems will will be gone. It's just not true. And many wealthy people, I'm not one, have testified to that. Uh, You know, again, I remember a number of years ago, probably 10 years ago now, Jim Carrey, you know, famous Canadian actor, uh, you know, he made a comment, was in the press, that he says, I wish everybody could have my money for one day, and they'd understand one thing is it does not bring happiness. It does not, right? And many wealthy people suffer from the same uh, stresses and depression and suicide that everybody else does. And that's a sad, sad reality. So uh, wealth, we're not to set our hope on it. We're not to set our heart on it. We're not to put our trust in men or in riches as if somehow that's our answer. I mean, the reality is, is that the Third Reich is gone. And yet at that time, Germany appeared to be in a position to dominate the world. And it took a whole coalition of nations to stop them. And I'm sure in the early days, although I wasn't born yet, in, you know, 40 and 41, people were worried. And here's a man of such great power and ability and influence in the world, and they were blitzkrieging across Europe. And they're gone. In just a few short years, they're gone. All the greats of history are gone, whether they were evil or good. They are all gone, no matter all the power they possess. All of it is gone. And they have not lasted. They cannot last. They cannot stand. There's no hope in any of it. So why do we fear men? And why do we fret over them? You know, the Bible tells us that we should not fear man who has only the power to kill the body, but has no power over the soul. Rather, we should fear the one who has the power to destroy both the body and soul in hell, God. But yet we fear men. Why? Are we putting our trust in the wrong places? Have we put our trust in material things? Are we putting confidence in people? They will fail no matter what they promise. And ultimately, the the shocking news here for the people of the world is that it doesn't matter how great you are in the eyes of this world. To God, you're less than vanity. You have no power and no ability and no strength compared to Him. We move on to our last two verses, 11 and 12. It says, God has spoken once. I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to God. And faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. Only God is truly strong and truly faithful. Only God. Only strength belongs with him. You know, God only needs to speak once. Sometimes we need to hear it more than once, right? God has spoken once. I have heard it twice. (laughs) Sometimes we need a reminder and a fresh reminder of who God is. And so this morning we're reminding our hearts of that strength belongs to me. There's no need to worry or fear. And I mean, I know this is hard because I go through this cycle all the time in my life. You know, Uh, uh, the Welsh has mentioned our coming here to Cape Breton. And that was always a source of fear for us on many levels. Not that we feared people, but we feared finances. We feared all kinds of things. We feared, could this church actually go? What's going to happen to us? But, you know, we've kind of come to that place in life where we say, you know what, Lord? No matter the outcome, we're just going to trust you and keep going. That's all we're going to do, right? The outcome is yours. If I try to wrestle with that myself, I'll go crazy. We have to leave it in God's hands. So the question is, what is going on in your life right now over which you're stressing? Maybe you have conflict with people. 
Maybe you have financial difficulties. Maybe you have health concerns. Maybe you have a whole a problem at work. Maybe you have a problem with people trying to tear you down. Whatever the case may be. What is it in your life that you're worried about? And now that you've heard about who God is, will you continue to do so? That's the challenge for us this morning, right? What are we going to do now? And we need to take those burdens to the Lord and leave them there and leave the outcome with them. There's such peace and blessing in that. We, we must not carry them. And you know, it is so good. I was just, you know, I mean, the Lord just impressed this on my heart the other day because earlier in the week I was really stressing over some things. And I was just on my knees the other day beside the bed and I was like, Lord, what am I going to share on Sunday? I don't have anything to share. And then there's just flood came over me. It is so good to just unburden with God. It is so good. You know, he knows everything about us. He knows exactly what we're thinking. He knows what's on our heart. There is nothing better than just going into his presence saying, Lord, and then just, just crying, just giving it all to him, just rehearsing it all. <laughs> he cares for us, beloved. He wants us to bring that to him. And there's nothing better. There's no better place. No matter what's going on, I can say, Lord, yes, I'm really worried about tomorrow, but, but tomorrow's not here. So why, you know what I mean? Like, how about I just, today, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, the Bible says. And, and I really believe give, God gives us grace one day at a time. And so we go back for a fresh supply every day. Today, we have what we need. And that's all we need to worry about. Tomorrow will take care of itself, the Bible says. Leave it in the Lord's hands. Go to God. Get into His presence. Turn it over to Him. We can trust entirely upon Him. There's such beautiful silence and rest with the Lord. In 1555, Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake because of his witness for Christ. On the night before Ridley's execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber to be of assistance and comfort. Nicholas declined the offer and replied that he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as he ever did in his life. Because he knew the peace of God, he could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of his Lord to meet his need, so can we. And I'm just going to kind of finish with this little beautiful poem by Charles Wesley. He says, I rest beneath the almighty shade. My griefs expire. My troubles cease. Thou, Lord, on whom my soul is stayed, will keep me still in perfect peace.